0: I personally think that if you're investing in this sector, you should have at least half of the money that you've allocated for investing in it in physical gold and silver that you keep in your possession. So and then I've always just looked at the mining stocks as a way of of getting wealth enhancement. You know, if, if events unfold that drive the price of gold and silver. Silver One Resources is an
1: exploration and development company backed by strategic investors Eric Sprott and SSR Mining. The company is focused on its Candelaria Mine project in Nevada, where there is already a historic resource estimated at 127 million ounces of silver. The Candelaria Mine historically was the highest grade silver producer in Nevada, generating over 68 million ounces of silver at an amazing average production rate of over 1,250 grams per ton. The project has tremendous expansion potential as past drilling has out. Deeper, high-grade silver targets for future drill programs. Silver One is highly leveraged to the price of silver and is cashed up and poised to increase shareholder value. Silver One trades in New York under the ticker SLVRF and in Toronto under the ticker SVE. To learn more, go to Silver One.com. That's Silver One.com you are listening to mining stock education thanks for tuning in i'm your host bill powers if you'd like to engage the show feel free to reach me as always at bill at well silver and gold are on the rise and seem to be holding up extremely well as i record it is uh gold is at about 1530 and silver is at about 1835 which are levels that we haven't seen in quite some time at least for gold it's been about six years and so, who better to talk to than uh, fund manager, mining stock, and precious metals fund manager, Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics? Uh, Dave also uh, writes the Mining Stock Journal. So if you want more in-depth analysis and uh, new mining stock ideas, make sure you head over to investmentresearchdynamics.com. You can read Dave's blog as well as get information about the Mining Stock Journal. With that being said, Dave, welcome back to the show.
0: Thanks for having me back on again, Bill. Appreciate it.
1: All right. Let's start off with your general thoughts on gold and silver before we jump into the mining stocks. Uh, what do you think about the price action in gold and silver?
0: Well, first, I just want to circle back to something you said in your intro that, you know, who better to talk to than than me? I'm sure there's, <laughs> sure there's plenty of other people that are better to talk to about it than me, but um, <laughs> I'll do my best. Thank you. So um, gold and silver are behaving in a way that I've been involved in this sector since say mid 2001, you know, back back when gold um, almost touched down at 250 and silver was right around four bucks and the Huey index was around 50. So uh, there's been, uh, I like to say there's been probably two bull runs kind of from like say 2001 to may of 2006 and then October 2008 until you know the middle of 2011 so and then I think we bottomed out again well it looks like we have I guess I should not say I think we bottomed out again in in December and I'm just talking about gold because the mining stocks typically lag they're you know usually a little bit behind but um so we bottomed out in December, really probably December 15th is probably an exact date. And I think we're at the beginning, beginning to middle of a what's going to end up being a massive bull run in gold and silver. And this will take us well beyond the highs that we hit in, in 2011, 49 and 1900. So, and and the thing that's striking about the move that Gold and silver have been making now, especially since I don't know, probably the last five or six months, maybe not quite that long. Is that every time they run up, and then you know, throughout all these, you know, these bull runs, you get these sort of fishing. Jim Sinclair calls them fishing line drops, mm-hmm. where the the banks go in and flood the comex with paper and drive the price lower and cover their shorts and then it takes a while for gold and silver to recover from that i mean the every attack on the price of gold in the paper market is met with basically a v recovery within a day or two you know yesterday's a good example so um, yesterday was kind of the final roll day for silver and there was a lot of silver contracts outstanding and and uh, longs who aren't prepared to take delivery have to be out of their position by the end of the 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 um, day session for the Globex trading. So essentially, by late afternoon, you have to be out of your position, or you have to be have your account funded to take delivery. So you get a lot of natural selling on on the last day before first notice, which was today and so mm-hmm. gold and silver were were hammered pretty hard um, but by late afternoon they had bounced back by the time the globex session closed for an hour and obviously today um, while well, they're kind of vacillating gold vacillating between up a few bucks and flat and silver's silver's up 17 cents I'm talking on a futures basis here and it's it was up I don't know 22 23 cents probably about an hour ago so Um, that's that's just an example of you know these these manipulated hits that are being met with with buying and we haven't i haven't at least i haven't seen this in the last 18 years of doing this um when you get a when you get a price attack like that and it's in the context of near record open interest highs in comex gold and silver and when when the open interest gets to an extremely high level, it, it typically means that the banks have extremely high net short positions that they put on trying to control the price. And this is the first period of time where the, where the price controlling hasn't worked, other than <clears throat> when silver ran up to 49 in 2011, and that was the banks, they, they had to throw in the towel there. And just start covering their shorts and that's that's part of what ran the price up that high well i I think we're going to see that again at some point
1: with uh being virtually no pullback or very irrelevant pullbacks for at least six weeks uh many commentators have said you know wait for the pullback to enter in kind of transitioning to mining stocks because mining stocks obviously move with the gold price gold mining stocks that is uh, what do you see here, or what would you recommend for those that are finally paying attention to the gold stocks, and they're saying, "Okay, I'm looking for an entry point, but I want to wait for a pullback." Uh, what are your thoughts here?
0: Well, that's that's a natural tendency for any investor. I mean, I think the same way. You know, and I I don't chase stocks down if I'm shorting them, and and they're all you know they are they're already down. Like Ulta is down almost a hundred bucks today. <laughs> I wouldn't short it today. I'm, I'm, I wished i had shorted it before the market closed yesterday. So, um, you know, your tendency is, okay. well, this stock spiked up. I'm going to wait and see if it pulls back. And it may, it may not. Uh, You know, the thing about investing, if you're if you're trying to do it for, you know, the intermediate to long term, you're never going to pick the bottom or the top perfectly. And anyone who says they do is a liar. So if you look at the Huey index, I mean, it's at 229, and it it's run up. I think it, I think it was down as low as 135 not too long ago. Um, but the Huey was over 600, was over 600 in 2011. So, um, if we go back to at least that level, you've still got more than a double left in it, you know. So, why try to be smart for? five or 10 points on the five or 10 point pullback that may or may not come on the index. I mean, it's run up a lot in the last month, but, you know, it's probably going to, you know, six months from now, it's probably going to be over 300. So, you know, if you wait for a pullback, that pullback may never come. And so if you've got capital to allocate to the sector, you know, put on a third of a position here and then save some gunpowder in case there is a pullback you know, and allocate a little bit more then. So, you know, it's it's one of these things where, where you know, it's never wise to throw all your money at once into something. And, you know, again, a lot of times you might be, you know, penny wise but pound foolish when it comes to investing. So especially like with these juniors, you know, you get a, a 10 cent stock and it, it, you know, it. my partner always does this. He'll, he'll like sit there and I'll be like, like, you know, Don. We got let's. You know, we we need to buy a hundred thousand shares of this. And he'll sit there and just put you know a bid in and wait. And you may or may not get filled, but you know, and it tries to buy it slowly. I'm like, just buy it. We're not going to be. You know, if you end up getting filled at twelve cents, who cares? You, you know, you're not. This stock's either worth a buck or worth zero. So you know why try to be two cents smart what if news is released tomorrow and the stock's all of a sudden at 15 cents you know what i mean
1: yeah you said that to me exactly what you told your partner you told that to me i don't remember if it was on recording or off recording but that has influenced my entry point on these you know small market cap companies eight to 20 million ounces excuse me eight to um 20 million dollar market cap Companies uh, that perspective you shared has influenced me.
0: Yeah, I mean you're buying these stocks for five to ten baggers You know why why try to be you know, two cents or five cents smart on it
1: (laughs) Yeah, and when you buy ten thousand dollars worth of one of these stocks You end up driving it up sometimes fifteen percent in a day just to take a ten thousand dollar position, right? Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beatty owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker OSIIF and in Toronto under the ticker OSI. To learn more, go to osinoresources.com. That's osinoresources.com. Dave, uh, with stocks, I know that you give your premium picks and your first picks to your subscribers, but are there, is there anything you could share with the general public listening to us now? I know it's pop uh, people like when you share your, some of your picks and uh, give an analysis of why you chose them
0: I think I may have mentioned US gold before but mm-hmm. I think you know the company very well maybe better than I do at this point but um, so they've got a, uh, a a gold project in in Nevada that is it's in the sort of the southern part of the Cortez trend which is really the Battle mountain Eureka trend but it it sits along a fault line, about ten miles to the south of Barrick's Cortez Hills gold mine, which is, as you know, is one of the largest gold mines in the world, probably one of one of the most profitable too. And and that's that is I think the official number for Cortez Hills is fifteen million ounces, but uh, the previous head of geology at U.S. Gold, Dave Mathewson, told me that, you know, everyone in Nevada knows it's probably at least 20 or 25 million ounces. So this property was stitched together by the people who who founded U.S. Gold. And uh, it took quite some time for them to stitch together all the land parcels. You You had to go one by one to the families that own them and buy them from them. And Dave Mathewson, and I met with him a couple of years ago, and uh, he told me that it was the Keystone property has the best host rock he's ever seen and he's he's been involved or led teams that have made some of the most significant gold discoveries in the Carlin trend and the Car- and the Cortez trend in Nevada and he knows he knows the 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 gold districts in Nevada he's walked them all by foot, so essentially. And the 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 geology of the rock underneath Keystone is strikingly similar to the geology at Cortez Hills. So, um, anyway, to, to cut to the chase, it's it's a twenty square mile property, and, and they started drilling on it. I mean, they've been you know doing initial exploration work and prep work, and then, I guess they started. Putting some drill holes in it, maybe two years ago, something like that, and that was it. Was just you know finding a gold deposit is like looking for a needle in the haystack.
1: Mm-hmm. Except the
0: needle, if you find it, is worth tens, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. In some cases, billions. So um, they've they're in the middle of a drill program right now, and they're they're um, they they're hopeful. They think they have a good shot at making a discovery. And so, if if they can make a discovery, and it, it's not guaranteed that they're going to make a discovery on this, if if they don't, they'll regroup and and they'll have more information to help them vector in on 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 a discovery. So, but if they do make a discovery, you know, the stocks at ninety cents today, I think.
1: But yeah, it was sold off in the last actually the last week. It sold off.
0: Yeah, I'll get to that in a sec. That's but um, so I mean, if they make a discovery. And it's a significant discovery that this stock will, it has, it could triple very in a very short period of time or more than triple. So, you know, especially when you consider the DNA of the area where they're drilling. And um, so, and then they, they also have a a project in Wyoming. It's a, it's a copper gold and and they also found some silver on it. It's called Copper King. And they have a, I think it's a, Pre-feasibility study, or preliminary economic assessment that um, shows the project has a net present value of I don't know 200 million or something like that, and and it's kind of old and and, and they've discovered a lot more mineralization plus they also figured out there's silver in in the deposit so the, the prop the project's worth a lot more than what's been indicated by you know the PEA or PFS I forget which which study. PEA, yeah. At any rate, I know um, you know. Ed Ed had told me, I think it was a couple years ago. He was offered fifteen million dollars for the for the project, and he passed on it. and And they they bought it for six million. And um, he's and I think rightly he was just he's thinking. You know, if we drill this out and advance it, it's going to be worth a lot more. And um, and the gold is actually a fairly significant component of of the mineralization. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bearish on copper. So if you're worried about copper, you know, it's it's more the, the copper content is more than offset by the gold, especially with the price rise that we've had in gold and silver. And that brings up another point. I think that PEA was done at 1250 gold. And I didn't include silver in it. And so the next time the next go around on that, they'll have one that includes um, value for the silver. But anyway, so let's just say on an intrinsic value basis, the project's worth the $15 million that he was offered when it was less advanced. Um, There's only, I think there's 20 million shares outstanding. So the market cap right now at 90 cents is $18 million. I mean, there's, they're really, from a fundamental valuation standpoint, there's really no downside to this stock at this price level. Because, you know, just assume $15 million for Copper King, so... So, um, you know, that's, that's 75 cents basically per share. And then they've got 6 million in cash, which is, is going to be depleted as they advance Keystone. And then you got to put in some value for the optionality upside of Keystone. I mean, there's definitely, it's definitely a huge mineralized system on that property, and now it's just a a function of finding out where the mineralization has, and I, I just for lack of a better term has coagulated into something that's a mineable deposit. And I think they're going to find it eventually. It, it may not happen in this go-around of drilling, but, um, you know, these these projects sometimes take several years before you can find a mineable deposit. I think they'll do it a lot sooner than that, just because of the the pedigree of the geologists that are working on it. <clears throat> so at any rate... Um, I. I don't know why the stock sold off i i spoke to or exchanged emails with the largest shareholder guy named luke norman who i think you interviewed um and he had no idea where the selling was coming from There's, there's not many large holders there's only a couple large holders outside of sort of the insiders and and the investors that are friendly to insiders like my fund so um and and ed carr had no idea where where the selling was coming from. And I, I think it might have been a hedge fund that was shorting it and chasing momentum lower. And then I think, you know, you, you, a lot of these juniors have a lot of retail shareholders who are less sophisticated as to the ways of Wall Street, and they get scared when they see a, a stock going down. And, um, you know, then they sell. And and so it's kind of the selling begets selling. And that's the only thing I can figure out. We actually went in and bought some shares in the high 80 cents earlier this week, because I wanted to see, I put in some, some bids for some size. I wanted to see if, if the seller was still around and if he was, if he still had a lot of shares, I think whoever was selling it, I think it may have, they may have gone away, but at, you know, at any rate, I mean, I think this is ba- you know, this is like, <laughs> this is like a 70% off sale to be able to buy this stock below a dollar, you know, and, and especially, you know, given the odds of of having a good drill hole on the targets that they're drilling in this drill in this um, current drill program, I mean, like I said, you know, they, they pull out a they pull out a, a, a some some good assays from from uh, these holes that they're drilling, and this stock, you know, it's it's going to shoot up like a rocket. The target that is their their all the geologists' most favorite and this was what was interesting about how they form these targets. So, so Dave Mathewson assembled what Heath considered to be some of the best geologists he's worked with in Nevada at Newmont. And there's a guy from Barrick who mapped out the Barrick Cortez Hills deposit and he's doing the mapping for Keystone. And he's supposed to be like the go-to guy for mapping Nevada, Nevada mineralization systems. You know, that, that helps you try and figure out where a deposit might lie. There there were five geologists and they all independently took all the data and all the previous prep work that they had done and put put together their five favorite targets. Or not their five favorite, but their favorite targets. And then they pooled all that and and as a group decided which ones were the best ones. So I think the, the process that they used is is gives them a high probability of of getting a discovery um, on this drill program. So, uh, the, the one that's their favorite is the Sophia target. And it, it, the, the geology of it is without getting into the technical terms is identical to the geology on Cortez Hills, where the big discoveries are being made. And, and when they tried to drill it last, last fall, they lost the drill bit because they ran into this a cave drilling where they wanted to drill. And that's actually the model is you run into these caves. So they wanted to get below the cave. So they just finished drilling that core. They, they drilled below the cave. I think Ed said maybe 400 feet below. Can't remember. I mean, it's a deep hole. It's like a 2000 foot hole and they've, they've got the core prepped and sent to the assay lab. So Ed told me that it's it's uh, right now in Nevada, assay labs are on about a six-week turnaround. So hopefully we'll see results uh, by the first or second week of October. Possibly we'll see them before October. Because he he said he's been kind of on the assay lab to try and, and get a turnaround on it. So um, And this isn't one of those things where the geologists can see mineralization in the core because the nature of Carlin style deposits is that the the gold is the gold in the core is microscopic, right? And you're, you're looking at a a good drill hole might be a a gram or two grams a ton and often it's less than that. So, um, but the beauty of, of the, of the Carlin style deposits is that it's, it's bulk tonnage and it's typically, a lot less expensive to extract the mineralization because they can use cheap, cheap processes.
1: Do you have any development companies that you're uh, paying attention to, attention to, or maybe like an optionality play?
0: Sure. Um, in fact, um, the company just had news out today, Mineral Mountain, and they're they're poking holes in. Um, it's called the Roach Roachford Project in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and similarly, similarly to Keystone, this this project. I think it's about maybe 10 or 20 miles south of the old Homestake mining um, uh, gold op, gold gold mine, which at one point was the largest gold mine in the world. I think it I think at one point it hosted 40 million ounces of gold. And this thing sits again; it sits on the same type of fault structure, um, you know, along the same fault structure that mineralized the the Homestake property, and they've They've got tons of historical data on the property. they've They've done some preliminary drilling, and the the geology is is quite complicated as as it's but it's complicated at the homestake property also. Um, and they they essentially ran out of money about a year ago. and so they've been trying to raise money to because there's there's an old hole that Newmont had drilled, and uh, Newmont had taken over the homestake mine. And um, there's an old hole that, that Newmont drilled on the property, and it, it had 10 grams per ton of gold in the drill sample. And then, you know, Newmont kind of abandoned it because th- that was back when the price of gold was, was you know, under 400 bucks. And it just wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, there was almost no exploration going on. and A lot of projects were abandoned. Um, in fact, that's kind of how the junior, the current junior mining industry was spawned a lot of these guys um have gone around and and uh accumulated or picked up abandoned projects that majors used to own so at any rate they finally got three million canadian raised and they want to they want to use the money to um drill this area that newman had drilled and they're they're gonna i think they're gonna try and sort of go at the same hole that Newmont drilled from a different angle, and it's kind of a complicated drilling process. But I mean, the stocks, uh, 14 cent stock. So it's it's I, I got I haven't looked, but I think there's probably 100 million shares pro forma. The, the funding they just did the financing And that wouldn't be fully. diluted. So, yeah, so that now they have money to, to drill this. Now, N- Nelson Baker is the guy who um, <clears throat> discovered the Rainy River deposit that new gold bought. And and he took that property over and formed, you know, the Rainy River Junior Mining Company. No one else wanted that property. And he was like, I think there's gold there. And he found it. And I think, you know, again, there's no guarantee here. And they may end up just drilling dusters. Who knows? But, you know, the the, the probability of, of finding something, I think, outweighs the risk of buying a little bit of this stock at $0.14 cents U.S. and, and um, waiting to see how this drill program pans out. Because if, if, they, if they make a discovery, this is another stock that, I mean, it'll double overnight or within a week, and it'll go a lot higher after that.
1: There was a company I was uh, financing, Dave, I'd like to get your take on from the perspective of is this good dilution? Uh, Back in July, early July, uh, Mexican Gold Corp. did a very unique financing in which they offered 50 million uh, units, shares of the company at $0.08 per unit. And then they gave a full warrant for five years at $0.12. So there was about approximately 50 million shares outstanding for the company. Then they just issued another $50 at $0.08. And then, of course, with the warrants, now the fully diluted is at uh, 175 uh, million shares. So they just tripled the share count to raise $4 million. I mean, what's your take on this? Was this wise or
0: how do you view this? So that actually brings up a good point about a lot of people, especially retail investors, I don't want to say use it as it's not i'm not using that as a pejorative term but you know they get freaked out or they they hate it when when companies issue shares and they refer to it as as dilution well the problem is these are these are you know venture capital companies in a sense and they can't walk into wells fargo and get a loan to finance their project advancement so the only way to do it is 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 to sell stock. And it's technically when you sell stock, it's not, it's not diluting the equity if the money is put to, to use for a net present value positive project or investment, right? Because that means, that means that you're getting more value per share, even though you have more shares, you've created more value per share for the shareholders. So, so you know these juniors like mexican gold for instance in order to advance their project they have to sell stock so um <clears throat> whether or not in this specific case it was a whether it's going to be a dilutive financing or not remains to be seen i mean i don't really know the company very well but if if they can if they can prove out i think they they say that they have a, a million ounce deposit and I don't know if that's inferred or indicated or measured, but you know, if, if they can, if they can advance that so that it's a, a bona fide million ounce gold or gold equivalent project, I think they call it gold equivalent. So copper, gold, silver, it, you know, if it's, if it's a million ounce gold equivalent project, you know, that's, that's probably a, uh, uh, Ultimately, if they can advance it to a mine and, and you know, produce 50 to 100,000 ounces a year, then, you know, the stock's probably worth a couple hundred million dollars and even more if the price of gold goes up. So that's that's, you know, the nature of these financings. So and, and I'd have to take a close look at Mexican gold to see if it was something that I'd be interested in, in investing in. Um
1: Dave, if I could play the other side of the argument, the stock was $0.40 cents in May of 2018. And I understand this isn't a company you have followed, but if I was someone who bought the stock at $0.40 cents or even 30 or $0.20 cents, and they, they did this at $0.08, cents, obviously I wouldn't be happy. So I guess that speaks to when we do speculate in these early stage venture companies we really need to know the time frame in which we need to measure success of how they're going to use the money that we give them, right? Because if you're stuck and you, you entered 18 months ago, you wouldn't be happy with that financing.
0: Well, and that's that's the, you know, the junior mining stock sector is littered with landmines. And what most people don't realize is that the, the odds of a company taking a piece of land where they think there might be mineralization in a deposit and actually – and actually finding a discovery that's worth a lot of money is very low, very low. So, and, and so I, again, I don't, I don't know Mexican Mexico gold or whatever it's called. And so I don't, you know, when it was at 40 cents, I don't know why it was at 40 cents. And um, the fact that it dropped to eight cents may or may not be significant. I mean, we've had a, over the last 18 months, we had a huge pullback in the juniors, huge pullback. I mean, there's there's good companies, you know, with bona fide projects that lost 60, 50, 60, 70 percent of their value over the last 18 to 24 months. It's just the nature of the market. So that's why you don't always want to you don't want to throw your money into these things all at once and you want to spread it around, which kind of brings me up, brings me to a point that I've been trying to make to people about Eric Sprott. It's it's not necessarily like It doesn't mean a company is going to be a home run if Eric Sprott puts his money into it. I mean, he's doing what I would be doing if I had a billion dollars. And that is he's going out and he's investing, you know, a few million in dozens and dozens and dozens of projects. He's playing the odds that a certain percentage of those projects are going to be 10 baggers. But he also knows that a certain percentage of those projects are going to be worthless. And, and so that's what he's doing. He's essentially creating a highly diversified portfolio of junior mining stocks. And it, it, I mean, I think ultimately he's going to make a ton of money on that. But, you know, if you take the case of Novo Resources, you know, it, when that stock ran from, I don't know, I think 60 cents up to six bucks, and there was all this hoopla about who was investing, who was investing in it, and I think he was one of the investors, maybe around $1.50 fifty or two bucks a share or something like that. And the stock ran up to six. You know, it's the same situation where a lot of investors paid six bucks a share for that. I actually wrote in my mining stock journal. I I told, I advised, you know, my subscribers if any of them owned it at six bucks, they should sell it. And I mean, it's I think the stock's below two bucks right now. And I think the stock is very interesting if it ever goes below a buck, but I probably wouldn't wouldn't buy it unless it was around a buck or below a buck. So um, that you know that's that's kind of probably a long winded way of answering your question about um, when companies sell shares.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I guess another thing, just um, touching on Mexican Gold Corp before we leave that topic is when I saw the. It was a new CEO that came in, and I I don't know his mindset, but he did need to recapitalize the company. So to to on to provide value moving forward, he has to have money. So he offered it at very attractive terms to new investors. It, It may or may not deal with the current investors fairly, in my opinion but the type of investors i guess would be a concern too because you're going to get a lot of traders that are going to come in when you're offering a full five-year warrant at 12 cents when this a gold with a, a gold company with a million ounce resources trading at eight cents so when that four-month hold comes off those shares will probably flood the market and then you're going to have that 12 cent kind of overhead warrant huge overhead warrant on the stock so just that was my concern as well, is what type of people are you bringing into the private placement?
0: That's really if if it's a bona fide, valid project that that actually has a million ounces of gold equivalent that's mineable and you know taking into consideration all the risks that it that are involved getting getting a discovery to an operating mine. If you think that this is eventually going to be a mining operation, you shouldn't worry about an overhang at 12 cents because that's a short term technical thing that will affect the stock price. Over the short term, but people who sell, you know, like, again, I'm assuming let's just make the case that it's eventually going to end up as a mine. So to me, that tells me it's worth somewhere between 150 million to 300 million dollars at today's gold price. So, you know, people who sell the shares at 12 cents and let's say they don't have to issue any more shares, which they, they will, but you know, they're they're selling they're selling a company at 12 cents. So that would mean there's 175 million shares outstanding. Selling, it's you know, they're selling a $20 million company or selling it at 20 a $20 million market cap something that's worth potentially 10 times more than that. So, you know, that that's the way you got to look at these things. I, if you really believe in, in a, in a project, you shouldn't worry about warrant overhangs and things like that. Yeah. It'll affect the stock in the short term, but that's why you save money because if when the warrants get exercised and, and the, the warrant holders, if they dump the shares, which all of, not all of them will um, it's going to drive the, the the price down and you go and you buy more stock.
1: Before you go, I'd like to have you engage uh, an email I received from a listener in Germany. And it deals with um, potential banks seizing deposits and bro- brokers. You know, What do you do with your mining stocks? Your stocks in general, but your mining stocks specifically, if you believe in holding gold and gold stocks and you believe that there's a bullish case for them, if the banks and the brokerage houses go insolvent, what happens to my stock? And this was a question um, that the listener asked me to engage um, on the show. So what are your thoughts here?
0: You know, that's, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's an issue that I used to think about and worry about a lot 10 or 15 years ago because, um, you know, the, a lot of us saw what ha- coming. Saw what happened in two thousand and eight. We saw that you know we saw that coming, and you know banks banks go under. A lot of banks went under. Some banks were saved. And I guess the question is, you know, if I keep my sh- if I own mining shares at a at an online broker like Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or whatever what happens in the next financial disaster if we have a bank holiday and, you know, what happens to my shares, right? So the argument is you should take, take delivery of your stock certificates because if you know the, the crisis there, there, there's probably going to be a crisis that collapses the financial system. And so, you know, we'll, we'll have, we'll have bank holidays and stock brokerage firm holidays and, quite frankly, I don't think there's anything you can do about that. And I guess if if you want to take the optimistic side of what it looks like after that event happens, if you own your stock shares, then you can present it to the company and, and get, get value for it, right? Or maybe the system starts back up and I can send my stock shares to whoever the new custodian is that I would be using. So, <clears throat> I personally think that if you're investing in the sector, you should have at least half of the money that you've allocated for investing in it in physical gold and silver that you keep in your possession, because that's that's where the real custodial risk is, in my view. I mean, there's there's nothing you can do about, you know, if stock brokerages go down and and evidence of your ownership of 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 stocks is destroyed, there's nothing you can do about that. But there's no reason to leave your physical gold and silver with a custodian, because if we have a bad event that happens like 2008, only worse, that gold and silver is probably going to disappear. So that's why that's why, you know, the hardcore precious metals investors always advocate um, keeping custody of your own gold and silver. So and then I've always just looked at the mining stocks as a way of 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 getting wealth enhancement, if there's an event that's, you know, if if events unfold that drive the price of gold and silver, you know, up to three or four times the level where they're trading now, imagine what that'll do to the value of the mining stocks. So if you have systemic continuity in that case, and maybe a brief, a brief shutdown, then you're going to have a mining stock portfolio that's worth a small fortune. So, um that's kind of how i handle that i don't worry about taking delivery of my stock certificates i like to have the ready liquidity of of having a brokerage um, account that's functional and i'm also kind of hoping that you know whatever is going to hit us when you know i can see it coming and i'm able to sell and and get my money out of the, the brokerage before it hits and if it doesn't who cares? because I'll have plenty of gold and silver that'll be worth a lot of money.
1: Excellent. I, and I agree with you, Dave. And I like how you said uh, half of what you're going to put in this gold sector, have it in physical, even before you uh, invest in the, the gold stocks.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Well, you've been listening to Dave Kranzler, editor of the Mining Stock Journal and the proprietor of InvestmentResearchDynamics.com. Dave, as always, I appreciate your insights. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me on again, Bill. I always enjoy doing your show. Thank you for
1: listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more.